Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Hello, Candace. Hi, Kyle. How's Long it going? Time. What's that? Good. How are you? Um, I haven't decided. Well, it's been a very hot week in the Northwest, and we're all big babies about that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been too hot, and uh, but but it's not Phoenix, Arizona. So, or last year, not complain. No, we cannot complain, and we're getting through it. We're almost done. We have had some exciting months these last few months just being ourselves and turning older i turned 70 candace turned 75 big milestones in our lives and we're actually going to do an episode about that but not and now we need to say to each other but you don't look it but you don't look at and you certainly don't act it no i try not to <laughs> but today we're going to have um we decided uh, looking at you know we've done 37 episodes now that have been published yay us Oof. And uh, we decided to circle back to one of our favorite people in the world. and our favorite uh, brains. Our favorite brain. And it's funny because when I met this woman, she was just a mere child, I think, or she pretended she was, wasn't, but she was quite <laughs> young, in her 20s. And she moved back to the Northwest from the East Coast, having finished pharmacy school. And she was determined to be a compounding pharmacist and to own a pharmacy. And in her 20s, she reached out to a pharmacist here that I had worked with for years, uh, Dr. Uh, Rodney Goff, who actually was the person who was instrumental in my career, helping me learn about compounding and hormones and all that. And he, she cold called him and said, "I'd like to buy a pharmacy. He looks really? like you're ready to retire." And he said, "Actually, I might be." So he took her under the wing, her wing for a year, and I began to work with Natalie and this lady. I'm going to reveal her name in a second. And she has been a mentor to me and Candace and thousands of other people. And this is, I would like to introduce Natalie Gustafson. She's been a compounding pharmacist for 15 years. She's owned several pharmacies that I've worked with. She's now the owner of Lloyd Pharmacy, Lloyd Compounding Lloyd Central Co Compounding. Lloyd Central Compounding Pharmacy. And she does a variety of compounding for people, animals, right? Oh, yeah. Everything. All the things. All the things. I she know. And, and at any time we ask, you need to have a question asked. I always tell my husband, don't ask your doctor about medications. You ask a pharmacist. Oh, yeah. You know, it's Definitely. the truth. Like we learn a lot about medications in our schooling, but we don't really learn about medications. The pharmacists are the ones that really know how medications work, how they interact with each other. And when I started learning about compounding and women's health, I went to the farm. I went to pharmacy symposiums rather than going to medical symposiums. So I thought these are the people I trusted to learn about hormones. And it has really and, and just hormones. just chiming in here, the the compounding pharmacist is your friend when you are looking for doctors in your area that prescribe bioidentical hormone yeah. replacement therapy because the pharmacists you guys know who's prescribing and who's prescribing well and sensibly and hopefully using test results and basing their prescribing on test results. So yeah, these are amazing. Uh, pharmacists are an amazing resource. And when I first started out, when I went to these, um, what do they call the uh, professional compounding corporation of America? Those are the, the, uh, the seminars I used to go to. 
And in a lot of cities, um, doctors weren't prescribing hormones without help from the pharmacist. The pharmacist would actually give them recommendations on oh, what yeah. right because they didn't feel comfortable with the protocols. So you guys were the backbone. Oh, definitely. And it's interesting, you know, because I know a lot of owners across the country, mm-hmm. prescribing is very different in different parts of the country. In here, you know, our area, we have a lot of naturopathic physicians, a lot of integrative doctors. And so we have a broader variety in this part mm-hmm. of the country than what I'm seeing, like on the East Coast, per se. Sure. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to see. Well, even as a nurse practitioner, I remember when I first became an NP, I, I was 1988, I was in Texas, and uh, then I moved back to Oregon in the 90s, and I became a pr- practitioner here, and I could prescribe right out of the get-go. But certain states, even nurse practitioners, were not allowed to prescribe. So you'll see it's it's yeah. it's really different. From Oregon is such a pioneer in that. Like uh, really for right. naturopathic physicians, mm-hmm. nurse practitioners, we're definitely cutting edge for like what we allow. And so it's kind of interesting because other states watch us to see how it goes. And then they decide mm-hmm. what they want to do. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're happy to have Natalie here. Like I said, anytime I haven't had a question, I never had. And Natalie knows I have like speed dial to her because I would be like, oh, Natalie, help. I need some help. And she'd always answer my questions. And she has a great staff. I know all her pharmacists by first name. And it's it's just, it's been a phenomenal resource for me. It's pretty lonely out there. It was pretty lonely out there for me when I first started doing bioidentical hormones in Oregon. I was the, one of the only NPs in the area doing it. I had nobody to ask. So oh, yeah. it was, it was terrifying actually. Right. <laughs> well, and you had restrictions at that time. You couldn't mm-hmm. even do estriol then. Right. And, right, yeah. right. Exactly. Uh-huh. Big exactly. changes. So mm-hmm. it's been, a, she's been an amazing resource and we figured it we're way overdue to have her in our lives again and get, and get asked questions. So we have a bunch of questions to ask her about a myriad of subjects because we're all, we're curious. We have curious minds in this group. <laughs> And I'm so excited to be back. You know how much I love both of you. I so know. It's so I was great. so excited when you asked me. I know. It's just, it's really fun. It's really fun to have these kind of collegial friendships that are real friendships, but they're not just co-workers. They're true women in our lives that we can Yeah. I mean, when I was at ZRT, how many doctors did I send your way, Natalie? Because the doctors oh. you mentioned, Kyle, didn't, they don't get the training Mm-hmm. In, in medical school of how to test hormones, how to interpret them and how to prescribe from them. And there are all kinds of, you know, statistics out there that still attest to the fact that so many doctors, graduates of medical school aren't, they're not, they don't feel ready. They don't feel trained. They don't feel equipped. Uh, and, and, worse now, and worse oh, now and worse now than ever since yeah. oh, we had such minimal training in school too, for us on, on this, like they talked about WHI, but kind of left it at that i had to do a lot of research oh, too wow. mm-hmm. oh definitely like it it was yeah it's pretty narrow the scope that they teach in school for i wonder too. what's happening with pharmacists now i know i would be really curious to know well are yeah. you you said yeah. you're seeing I, some well, changes we, we you know we take interns um and they still know very little about hormones so when they come through and rotate through our pharmacy we're doing a lot of training and teaching them and we have them do projects so that they understand how things work together especially with the endocrine system you know they don't know how that ties in with thyroid and adrenal and diabetes and all those things so we work really hard to help them put that picture together that's amazing you're talking about interns from pharmacy school Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah even the far in the pharmacy school and and studying biochemistry and all of it they're not learning those those um that symbiotic relationship between endocrine system hormones and how to how to replenish and rebalance and all of that not happening huh 
right. You should see their faces. That's like a little when terrifying. They, when, it clicks, when it clicks for them, then they're just like, wait, what? <laughs> that is terrifying yeah. because we're, we're worried about mm-hmm. just the providers alone. That oh, are not, There's sure. a dearth of providers and we both know this. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of scary to think that pharmacists are not getting the training yeah. as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, and the way the endocrine system, you know, we're, they teach it in segments, right? So you'll learn about high blood pressure and you'll learn about high cholesterol and then you'll learn about, you know, diabetes and then you'll learn about thyroid. So it's all in little chunks mm-hmm. and you're not seeing how it goes together and how, you know, fundamental the endocrine system is. So I usually take it down to the basics. I'm like, okay, we're that zebra and that lion's coming at us. Let's talk about what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, right, right, right. Like it really all kind of comes down to daily survival versus, you know, reproduction versus, you know, getting away from that immediate threat. You know, like it goes to really basics with that. So it's yeah. kind of fun. I love doing the talk. I bet you do. <laughs> are, so are you doing, are you teaching, Natalie? Are you teaching pharmacists yourself or are you talking about with your interns? The kind, interns. I mean, that's a way to, to teach, have mm-hmm. them come to you. Yeah, I I teach different uh, at like conferences, and I'll go to the oh. M for naturopathic physicians, like when they're students. Um, but usually, the pharmacy schools are pretty, you know, like straight laced with that. And I'm a little more outside the box. Yeah, so. we all are. We all. That's why we all are friends. So I have a question. So you know, in the last twenty years, so I started doing the bioidentical hormones, two thousand two, right around the time of a women's health initiative. Good time. I know. Good timing. Well, it was like okay, we're gonna pivot. We're gonna mm-hmm. pivot. We're gonna Be better. We yeah. do it. So there's been a lot of controversy over the years, and I have to admit that I don't know what's going on, and you do. What's going on in the world of compounding pharmacy with the bioidentical hormones? What have you mm-hmm. seen in terms of a shift? Uh, are you seeing more people um, prescribing? Is there still a pushback mm-hmm. on you folks, mm-hmm. making it more difficult for you to do mm-hmm. your work? There's a lot of questions there. Oh, it's a very, com- that is a complicated area for okay. sure. So if we step back and look at Women's Health Initiative, there was a huge decline, like 60 to 70% drop, like straight away from hormones. Okay. But what they saw was a lot of women went to compounded at that point. They wanted to switch over to bioidentical mm-hmm hormone therapy because they recognize that women's health initiative that was a synthetic right we're talking conjugated estrogen progestins not progesterone right and so as they became educated about what they saw in that they wanted to switch over in what they were getting and so we've seen that push happen where people are far more interested in you know what are my alternatives to this and, you know, as time has gone on and studies keep coming out and people are recognizing the weaknesses of that or, or limitations, you know, the narrowness of, of the women's health initiative, we're seeing an increase in both happen, both synthetic and the natural. Um, but we're certainly seeing a big push into the compounded. It's higher than it's ever been. Wow. But because of that, pharmaceutical manufacturers are not too thrilled with that situation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of politics now. Uh, And so we've seen um, some movement happen that is definitely concerning. And I like for public and physicians alike to be really aware and watching. Um, There's push to limit access to compounded hormones. Um, They've talked about putting all the hormones on lists that mean we are not allowed to compound them anymore. What? Yeah. Yeah. And so in 2019, FDA funded a study done by NASM, and the NASM report came out in 2020. What's NASM? Um, so it's, I mean, basically, it's like a, a group of different experts that got together to analyze hormones. Okay. The problem is when you look at who was on that committee, it's a very biased group. 
And so we didn't have a lot of experts on our side of the table. It was a lot of people who were very pro-synthetic and not, you know, bioidentical. And so the report came out and basically said, except for a few case scenarios, there's no reason why you should ever need to compound hormones. And so this is 2020, right? We're mid-pandemic now. So nothing has really happened with this report yet, but something will. There's a reason why this report was funded. And so, you know, hormones are now on this list to be considered. So at some point, FDA will get to it and decide whether or not we are allowed to compound with them or not. Wow. And so we've worked on educating, you know, our different senators. They've written letters to FDA and different things. But, you know, we're we're working with the big groups. You know, there's big compounding organizations that are trying to get the information Top out. Founders like Capitol Hill. Have you been up there? Yeah. Obviously. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's that group that does that. And so um, they put together um, some information that's going out on PBS. And I think Fox has put it out. And so they're trying to get some information out. So people are starting to be aware that there's, you know, because nothing has happened yet. Right. But mm-hmm. when it happens, it'll be too late. Exactly. So, exactly. so that's the fear, right? Because it's like, okay, well, we don't see anything really right this second, but when, but by the time it happens, you can't, un- it's very hard to undo. So the movement that we've seen in this area is porcine thyroid, right? The natural thyroid, mm-hmm. um, you know, original type of thyroid that everyone had been on. Sure. And, and now there's alternatives, but last year FDA reclassified it that it's now a violation if I compound with that. Really? With the natural, with so the natural compounding part. that is being threatened is always to do. We're we're talking about natural, hormones, right? Hormones, yes, right. yes. So so HCG got reclassified as a biologic a couple of years before that. So we lost that last year. We lost desiccated thyroid. So you know we're seeing this tick tick you tick. Lost tick. desiccated thyroid. Yes, you can't so no longer do I, that. So some compounders are still doing it. It's risky. Because it is considered a violation by FDA. So if FDA walks in, they will cite you on that. So Armour Thyroid is under that? Or no? Armour is fine. Why is Armour fine? Um, Armour is made by a big pharmaceutical manufacturer. Right. But it's really porcine, isn't it? It is. Okay. So there's definitely a lot of chatter about where did this push to reclassify come from? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm thinking too. Yeah. So if they're doing it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. So Prometrium's okay. Prometrium's okay. Even though it's progesterone. Right. And it's... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but Nature Throid, yeah. you know, and these other NP Thyroid, you know, Stella, these other companies all got, you know, all their stuff had to be recalled too. So oh. there's there's thought that there's some money that has moved around. Sure, sure. Behind this movement. Uh, so, but it also... You know, I, I also can't help but wonder if this is a little bit of testing the water. How do people react if we take this away? How do people react if we take this away? So what and about- how are they reacting? Uh, people got pretty upset about the desiccated thyroid. They had to scale back a bit on the language. They softened the language, but they didn't take out the fact that it's a violation. What about like things like, you know, for around, uh, for many, many years, people can purchase like progesterone mm-hmm, over the counter. Mm-hmm. Will this ruling affect that? Or is it just compounders? It would be just compounders. Interesting. There's a specific list that the FDA has been working toward creating, which is creating a list of substances that we cannot compound with. And so things that are being evaluated for that are things like uh, the B12, methylcobalamin, right. uh, a lot of other natural substances, 
lot of things that, you know, all, all the hormones, a lot of things are on this list that are pretty normal players that we see a lot in compounding. What percentage of your business would you say is in this area? Um, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty traditional with a lot of compounders where it's about half. Wow, you so know, lots. it's a big, yeah. a big bite. I mean, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for sure compounders for wow. sure. I think it's, I'm mostly concerned about patience and access because if you stop our ability to compound it, there isn't a commercial alternative. You know, mm-hmm. my goal as a compounder, I'm not trying to mimic what's already out there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to provide the options that aren't out there, right? right. I want to specialize. I want to put it in a form that you can't get commercially. If you can get it commercially, fine. Yeah. You know, no problem, right? And so it, it feels a bit naive to me to say, okay, well, we'll take all these other options away and everyone's going to fit into this really narrow option of what's available. I mean, there is no testosterone available for women commercially. And we know how critical that you is. You mean a bioidentical? You mean a natural form right. of testosterone? I mean, yeah, they're all approved for men. And they're at men dosing. You know, yeah, it's, it's just, definitely. you know, it's, it's an interesting scenario. I, I think that the public will become very upset if this is the case, right? What And what kind of estrogen is available for women through... um, So you can get estradiol in oral forms. Um, There's a little bit in some other ways, patches patches and and different things like that. You can get progesterone. But patches are extremely expensive. They are. And oral estrogen, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. is not the best choice. It's not my favorite either. No, we don't want women on estrogen who have been off hormones for a long time or have cardiovascular Mm -hmm. disease. patches... The patches may be expensive, but they're a great form of delivery. Well, can as they are, but for a lot of people, it's unaffordable. And that's mm-hmm. why the compounding has been... Are they really? There's no insurance around these, is there? There's no, no insurance, but like mm-hmm. I, for myself, I'm on patches and have been for a long time. Without, with with my insurance, it would normally, it would now cost me $200 a month for mm-hmm. patches. But I have something called GoodRx. Mm-hmm. And good RX yeah. asked me to get seventy dollars for three mm-hmm. months. Now, I, I I think two hundred dollars a month is crazy for yeah. one one drug. Think if you're on five drugs, mm-hmm. for most people that's unaffordable. Mm-hmm. So they're going to start, you know, maybe not going on it. There's not. I don't want people on oral mm-hmm. estrogen if I can help it, and mm-hmm. there's no estriol available. Right. So it's really going to limit people. Boy, mm-hmm. we need to. You need to get tight on this one, huh? Yeah. So I'll keep you. I'll keep you apprised of where we're at with everything. But I do like for people to be aware and keep an eye out on what's happening so what, that what do you recommend so our listeners mm-hmm. are all educated for highly motivated people do you have like uh people they should write to politicians right honestly their representatives and senators okay. are going to be their their biggest voices right because that's who is going to you know write letters and and put pushback you know, and, and oversee different FDA committees and different things like that. So what's the verbiage we should be using when we're writing to these um, Congress people? So there are great options if you go to, so Alliance for Pharmaceutical Compounding, so APC, uh, a4pc.com. They have a section for this, for patients and providers, and they have a lot of material already provided. So okay. to give you a lot of language that you can use, things that you can provide to to give this you know, so we'll put that in our show notes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And the people have a link. Yeah. They can yeah you don't have to reinvent the wheel. No, good. Yeah. yeah. Same they, thing. When they, we wrote letters. They've been working on that. Yeah. No, it's great. When same thing when we wrote, you know, mm-hmm. postcards for mm-hmm. people wanting, yeah. getting people to vote, right. there was like a, a yeah. script that was already in place. And think about this for Astriel. So when I first came into compounding, 
we, you know, people, different compounders were getting warning letters about I compounding with FGL, that. right? Yeah. And people wrote letters and people pushed back and FDA backed off on estriol because of that, right? So we saw an impact from that happening. And so I think this tide can be changed, Mm -hmm. but I want people to be aware of it before it's too late and very hard to roll it back. It's hard to undo once it's been done. Okay. You're you're not talking about a complete rollback of all bioidentical formulations because you were just saying uh, estradiol is okay progesterone is okay for me oh, no, so no, no, no. well only fda approved so just in the well, form only of the so yeah. so that's what would be the it's not now but that's what would happen there we'd be narrowed down to very few choices yeah and that would only be pharmaceutically made right. no no, yeah. no compounders could actually touch this stuff mm-hmm. if this was to pass what she's right. saying yeah so it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a very yeah. big deal. Yeah. So we need to make we need to sort of put um, mm-hmm. head this off at the pass, basically. And there's already a lot of pressure on compounders because the regulations are changing this year too, and so we're already getting a lot of restrictions that will start in November um, that are going to limit day supplies for people. Our dating is going down on things, and uh, costs are going to go up in how we we make things, and so. It's going to be, it's, we're in an interesting time right now. Hmm. So when you say you're dating, what do you mean? So, but where's all this pressure coming for the FDA to do this stuff? Do you think it's coming from pharma or what do you think? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. There's, you know, they always say follow the money, right? Right. So follow the money. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's interesting. So especially in sterile combating, that is going to be the most heavily restricted, but also hormones are impacted with this. And so, uh, many small places are closing. This has been a big concern, especially in a state like ours, where we have a lot of rural areas. Mm-hmm. Very few small mom and pop type compounders can stay open. You can't follow these reg- new regulations and and be small. It's mm-hmm. not possible. And so, because of that, we're seeing a lot of small places close. And you know, places like ours, we we're set up to take care of, of people all over the state. You know, we mail and and we provide options. But there's a lot of things like, you know, what if you need a mouthwash that night? Right. You, you know, can't get it there. Amazon, if, Amazon yeah, will do it. Right. It's right. like, we'll get it to you as fast as we can, but you can't get it same day. No. You know, and, and before you could just walk in and get that, right? Of course. So there's definitely, it's a changing landscape. It's do interesting. You, do you think, okay, so compare us to Canada, compare us to Europe in terms of some of these issues. I would say Europe is pretty friendly uh towards compounding it's going to depend on the country sure the um, eu in, in general yeah yeah in general i would say there's a lot more acceptance mm-hmm. um of this uh canada is pretty supportive of compounding as far as i know um they have similar like guidelines and standards as us so it's going to be on par okay you know i i don't know that they have as much pressure against um interesting but you know it's also a different system up there the pharmacy system's different like the way it's built and and done so mm-hmm. it's a, yeah it's an interesting area yeah, i don't think there's any hormones available over the counter in canada like progesterone it has to be prescribed everything has to be prescribed well I, and i have i had the interesting um uh experience recently through our podcasts our podcast reaches far and wide denmark we've had people reach out to us i had a patient from japan recently 
who is a Canadian who moved to Japan and I'm working with her now. And we were trying to facilitate, there's some over the counter things that people can buy online as, as we know about, but in Japan, everything is highly regulated. It's pretty interesting to see the different systems of care in different countries. Oh yeah. So what is she doing? How is she getting uh, her home? going to go on uh, Dr. Randolph's website and see if she can order through that and see mm-hmm. if that is something that they'll ship to her in Japan. And if but not, they don't have compounding pharmacists in Japan, not one, not that she knows of. No, really? no wow. highly restricted, highly regulated what they can get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even in the mail, sometimes it's mm-hmm. restricted. So it's very interesting to, to talk to different people in different countries and see what they're mm-hmm. like. You go to Europe and you can buy all kinds of stuff off the counter. You go to Mexico, oh. all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff everywhere you go. Right. We are so much mm-hmm. more regulated in our country, which has good, good you know features and bad features. Right. Yeah. So. I, I'd like to ask, though, in in light of this um, threat that you know, company uh, small pharmacies are already going out of business just based on the threat of these becoming um, law, these regulations becoming law, and, and yet, um, you know, when people talk about the different problems with the WHI. Um, one of them that they cite is that, well, you know, the hormones, the conjugated estrogens and synthetic progestin that were used in the study are no longer what very few doctors prescribe that way anymore. You know, we've moved on and, and yet they don't talk about what have you moved on to, if you've moved on to where have you moved on to a different form of synthetic, or are we talking about bioidenticals? You're saying you're your half of your business is compounding bioidentical hormones that has to be because people are benefiting and doctors are finding that they're benefiting and they're, they're able to say, well, we don't use that crap that was used in WHI. We're, you know, we're advanced now, really. And now we have big pharma pushing against something that's actually working with more benefit for less and less risk. So what are doctors prescribing? Are they all, what are they prescribing when they're using synthetics and are most of them moving to bioidenticals? I would say it's a mix. So it kind of depends on what your philosophy is as a hormone doctor, right? Right. Because if you are very traditional mainstream following NAMS, so North American Menopause Society, you are not going to use compounded. And you're not going to even prescribe it half the time. Right. (laughs) So it depends on what you prescribe to as a physician, Mm -hmm. right? Right. What What is your, you know, viewpoint and what do you want to follow? Because to be integrative physicians and practitioners like we are takes a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. Think how much legwork and we've had to do totally. and information we've had to put together mm-hmm. to see the more holistic side and to look at the body in that way. And so it's challenging, right? If you are in a traditional insurance model and you only have 15 minutes mm-hmm. per patient, how are you doing all that research. How are you doing the histories that are needed and the symptom, you know, checks and, and the follow-ups and, you know, you don't have time to do all that. And so if you are in that model, if I'm, you know, I'm going to prescribe the commercial, mm-hmm. you know, estrogen and progestin or progesterone, whether it's a synthetic estrogen or estradiol, you know, there is no set, oh, you have to check blood levels and do all these follow-ups and stuff, right? Because they just list the side effects as side effects, not you haven't balanced yet. We know mm-hmm. when there's side effects, that means it's not balanced. Right. To me, it's not really a side effect so much as an indication we're not where we need to be, mm-hmm. but that's not how it's presented with the commercial. The commercial is, ah, it's just how it is. You, you know, you have this dose and this dose. If you have this, you know, you either live with this or you live with that. So 
it's it's more this idea of you better fit to it, whereas we want to create medicine that fits to our patients. Right. It's just a very different philosophy, but it also means we usually have to go outside of insurance, mm-hmm. which is a privilege, right? Not everyone has that option. Not all of our patients have the choice to be able to afford that. So exactly. it, it's a, you know, we're, we see a big mix with this and even like the patches, even within the commercial, mm-hmm. maybe you get that prescribed, but your copay is so high. Well, especially you, you can't need, do that. Especially if you need a higher dose. Like some right. women need a higher dose than 0.1 right. yeah. and the insurance, try to get insurance to pay for two right. patches at once. Nope. Good luck with that. Right. So yeah. Well, it's, well, let's go back for a minute though. You said you had that card that it was, what is it called? RX. Good RX. Good RX. I, how do you get those? That could help you online and you apply for good RX and certain participating pharmacies will take them. But I was going to one for a really long time. Also, and they said, sorry, no more good RX because they lose money on it. I get, they get a certain amount of subsidy. You probably know more about this than I do, but um, I get that you get probably get some subsidy in there. And so you get, a, a decreased cost, all kinds of medications are on. I used to poo-poo it. I used to think it was a joke until I found that. No, it really can work very well. It won't work in a compounding pharmacy, but it works like at a Walgreens mm-hmm. or a Rite Aid. And it can be very, very beneficial for people, especially if you have yeah. sort of like mm-hmm. okay coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they work with different manufacturers. And so they'll work out a deal. Hey, I'll give a price break on this if you choose this manufacturer, right? And so the manufacturer gets benefit because mm-hmm. you more of their products chosen, but then the patient gets the benefit because they get the price break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I see one thing that could be promising in this morass is that if there are, uh, and your observation would be good on this, more doctors who are, lear- you know, I remember in the early days, as we're saying, doctors didn't know how to prescribe these bioidenticals, especially in the wake of the WHI a lot of women were just wandering around out in the cold with no one to talk to, no one that wanted to touch hormones. So the prescribing is an art and a science. And do you think, we asked Dr. Zava this, do you do you feel like doctors are getting better at this prescribing? And are doctors getting more, uh, becoming bigger fans of bioidenticals because of seeing the improvement in their patients without, uh, you know, with symptom relief and levels looking good. And if that's the case, then I would think there'd be a good pushback against the pharma trying to, you know, uh, take these away from us. Well, that's and maybe a big parade and maybe a big uh, uh, protest big, march in DC. Big, but that's a big presumption, Candace. I think that there aren't a lot of doctors prescribing bioidentical hormones or providers, not just doctors, but. I don't think we have a lot of people who are just seeing that. They're not like the Natalie. Well, I'm said. wondering what Natalie sees in practice is, would you agree with Kyle or is it more promising than that? So the thing that's tricky is Dr. Zava and I both have a bias in this, right? Because right. people are going to come to my compounding pharmacy because they want a compounded hormone. Mm-hmm. I don't do synthetics. I don't do hardly any commercial. Mm-hmm. So there's, so I'm seeing the physicians who want that. Dr. Zava is seeing people who understand saliva testing and right. these, you know, metabolite tests and urine tests and all these other things who are not just doing the standard, you know, mm-hmm. venous blood draw. So both of us have a little bit of a skew a in what we see because we're seeing those providers who are interested in that and have taken that time or are taking that time to figure out how to do this because they recognize the need for it. When I step outside of our kind of bubble for what we're seeing with that, I so it can be kind of shocking mm-hmm. um, how, like, for instance, so I, I was invited to sit in on um, 
naturopathic physicians are trying to get licensed in Illinois. They have no licensure right now. And because I'm on anything to prescribe anything or to prescribe zero prescribing rights, not recognized as doctors. Oh, wow. Not recognized Illinois? in Illinois. Holy most of Chicago, like zero. No. <gasps> so if you go, they wow. have to be very careful what they talk about wow. because they can't, they can't diagnose. They can't my goodness. Right? be treated in a physician. It's a little bit evil here, huh? Oh yeah. Oh, my so God. I was invited to attend because I'm the chair of the formulary council for naturopathic physicians. So we have helped, um, uh, you know, give recommendations to the board on prescribing what can be prescribed and can't sure. for, for naturopathic physicians. I mentioned we're cutting edge, right? So I knew we were pretty far on the spectrum. So the, I attend this. I, I, I couldn't even believe what I was seeing and the things that were being said by the MDs in that meeting about naturopathic physicians and anything that could be herbal or mm, holistic God. or, you know, it, it was pretty shocking. And so it was telling to mm-hmm. me on where we're at and that we are really fortunate to be where we are, mm-hmm. where we have these prescribing abilities and these physicians that are in this area. I mean, our patients are so fortunate in this area. There's so many amazing physicians oh, in this oh, area. Totally. Oh, I mean, I've yeah. often said to people, we live in a city, Oregon has the Oregon Health Science University raising, you know, training doctors. We have the naturopathic college. We have the acupuncture college. We have the chiropractic college. Mm-hmm. We have it all. And so most cities do not have that blend. So we've all worked together for the last 30 years. And there's so much more integrative medicine here in this part of the country. I've had to help with family members trying to deal with different medical mm-hmm. problems on the East Coast. We are so far ahead of them in terms of integrative mm-hmm. medicine. It's kind right. of shocking. It's always right. always hits me like a, you know, hot air, yeah. like what the heck is going on here? It's yeah. just, it's kind of crazy. And I went to school in Boston, right? So I was trained on East Coast. Exactly. And I had to scramble when I got here. I was like, what is this? What is this? Oh my goodness. And then it just all clicked for me. And I was same like, here, this is here. amazing. I was trained I was like, in Texas. Same thing yeah. as, a naturopath, mm-hmm. as, a, as a nurse practitioner. I was going to say, Candace, too, um, I had dinner with two friends last week that are also long-term patients of mine. They didn't know I was still doing consulting. And we were talking about... They're both postmenopausal. They're both dealing with osteopenia. Both their providers here in Oregon, which is a progressive state, they told them they should be on lowest doses possible of estrogen. And I said, why? And they were like, because our doctors told us that they, we should just be on the lowest possible dose of estrogen. I said, why? What's the, what, what is the dose response here? You know, and, they, and the doctors are just like, we're afraid of breast cancer. So I'm always like, but that you're on too low a dose to protect your bones. So I don't, it's, again, but this is where we live in our part of the country. And that's what I'm hearing. So there's a lot of doctors still or providers still that are very hesitant to really go the, the whole way with hormones and therapy and testing and treatment and being comfortable with it. They're just not. Yeah. If there's any history of breast cancer, if you're older, that's another big question that comes up. People our age, yeah. Um, in our 70s now, I you're not taking my hormones out of my, it'll be out of the cold, dead hands sort of thing before I'm letting go of my. I know. So, but again, if you are a more standard gynecologist following NAMS. You'd be off. You'd be off, right? They they say above 60. That's nope, it. That's I, it. I, I just put a woman on who is 75 for the first time mm-hmm. and shocking, right? But I put mm-hmm. her on transdermal estrogen. I'm not going to increase her risk of cardiovascular disease. I hopefully 
will ch- give some changes to her brain and her bones and her heart, you know, risk. And of course she's taking progesterone along with it, not just estrogen alone. But, but, you know, we, we, again, we out of the boxers are thinking, we know when we talked to Dr. Zava about this recently, women should be on hormones until proven otherwise, as far as we know. Right. Right. I mean, to me, it's about balance. Yes. You know, there are certain kinds of cancers due to genetics, right. you know, the right. estrogen and progesterone receptor exactly. positive, you know, that that's, that's a, a concern, right? A but story. that's a different story. You know, for the rest of us, it's all about the balance mm-hmm. because women aren't dying of heart attacks when they're 30, mm-hmm. when they have lots of hormones and all exactly. the things that, right? They're dying of all this when the hormones drop. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's fascinating to me when everyone's like, oh, you know, they, there's so much fear. You know, same happens with men, right? They're so afraid of giving them testosterone because of prostate cancer. I'm like, you're not getting prostate cancer when you're 20 and you're at your no. peak of testosterone. You're getting it when you're 80 and your testosterone has dropped and you have a lot of estrogen on board. I used to do this thing with my patients back in the day. I would sit there and they would ask me these questions and say, what about this? What about that? I say, okay, let's talk about this for a second. Just like you. Before or after menopause, are you more likely to get breast cancer? Before or after, you know, uh, menopause, you're likely to get heart disease. Before or after, you can get dementia, osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. And it's always after, after, after. So right. what's missing? What's the missing link? Hormones. So are hormones causing these things or are they protecting you? It's like, oh, ding, right. the light goes on in their head. They go, got it. Right. So there you yeah. go. Right there. Simple, and, simple, simple. And in mainstream, how much is only estrogen being what's talked about too, exactly. right? I'm like, well, that's not the only thing that dropped. Your progesterone dropped because you're not ovulating anymore. And estrogen drops less. Right. Rather what's major. the last thing to go? Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting. So can we segue into, okay, we talked about hormones. I think we've covered that pretty well. What about the women who have had an estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor positive breast cancer and they're having all kinds of symptoms? We've all seen these women mm-hmm. and we feel so at loss to help them. We know we can't give them hormones, at mm-hmm. least for a while. Right. We may be able to revisit mm-hmm. that later on. Yep. Um, but for now, we can't. And what are some of the best go to? Like you work in a compounding pharmacy, you have out of the box thinkers. What are you using for those women to help them get through hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, anxiety? Absolutely. There's a lot of different options that are still available to women. And I want to make sure that they know that because it can be a really scary place Mm -hmm. to be in, to be really struggling. And especially if you've had one of those type of cancers or you're on an estrogen blocker, Mm -hmm. all of that's so much more severe, Mm -hmm. right? Um, or maybe it's even someone who just has a family history or a high risk of it. And, you know, it's about up. the BRCA, the BRCA gene mutations. Right. Thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All those. And so I want to make sure that people know there are still things that can be done. You know, you're, you're not just doomed to live with it. In fact, I don't want people to just live with it. We know how much negative consequences are to leaving hot flashes and night sweats Mm -hmm. and all that untreated. Right. Right. We know there's massive negative impact on, you know, cognition and dementia and depression and all these other things. So it is important that we don't just not treat that. And so there's a lot of different ways that it can be approached. You know, I know you two talk a lot about diet and lifestyle modifications that provides acupuncture, you know, there's a lot of different pieces that are not even in, you know, my realm per se that matter. You know, we know drinking alcohol can matter. It's not a big fan of anyone telling you to take your red wine away, but no, for some women that's important, right? So, you know, we have that aspect to it. And then there's also non-hormonal medication options. 
So within that area, you have things like certain antidepressants Mm -hmm. can actually help with this because estrogens have a lot to do with serotonin in the brain. And so if we can, uh, you know, help that serotonin level, that can be a a big impact. Can you give an example of some of those? Sure. So fluoxetine or Prozac um, is probably the one that people would recognize most readily um, within that, but that whole class. So they're called SSRIs. Mm -hmm. There's quite a few within that. Um, that can be used. Um, there's also venlafaxine or Effexor, mm-hmm. uh, which is also similar to that, but a little bit different. Um, that hard, also, but hard to get off of, right? Once you get on it, that one is trickier. Yeah. The SSRI class is easier okay. to come on and off. So that I typically would recommend to start there before you do an Effexor yeah. type. Right, right, right. Um, there's also within nerve pain type, gabapentin or clonidine can be used mm-hmm. um, and has been helpful. It's kind of an off label. Uh, it's an interesting use for that. And then there's a brand new medication that just came out um, in May. Um, it's called Vesuva, I think. Vesuva? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be curious to see how that goes. It works totally different than everything else. Um, it goes in through this totally different mechanism and affects the thermoregulation in the brain. Hmm. And so I'll be kind of curious to see how that plays out. You know, it's so new. It's not going to be covered by insurance yet, probably. Usually they don't cover for the first six months. So, what is it? What, um, what's it again and what is in it or what is it? Vesuva, she said. I think it's Vesuva is how it's, let me look up how it's spelled. Cause I had to, I had to look into this cause of course this doesn't come through my area too much for that. So within that it is, yeah. Uh, oh, v- Vioza? V-E-O-Z-A-H. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's, well, it just came out. I'm not even sure it's on. You know, just because it was approved. What, what language is that? Oh, I love the language. The pharma oh. speak. Yeah. Right. It's like huzzah, but vioza. I know. Vioza. Yeah. <laughs> vioza. So it works through, I don't know how technical you want me to get. Um, it's neurokinase. So um, it goes in and just affects that thermoregulation in the brain. So it actually shifts that around. So a totally mm. different mechanism than any of these other ones. Yeah. So I'll be really curious to see how much improvement we see with that. It's too soon to really know, sure. um, but I'll be watching that because that could be a really Does it nice come under a class of antidepressants? Is it in oh. the anti? No, it's a new, but, but the other things you talked about, the antidepressants, we were talking about those as, as some help for women who cannot take hormones, but there are many doctors that seem to, by default, prescribe uh, an antidepressant as the first line of treatment. I mean, so I just want to clarify: we're not suggesting that antidepressants are the are the first. No, uh, step these are for women who cannot take hormones. Right. This is the alternative. Clearly, for women who cannot take hormones, these are options that can help. And yeah. my concern is right. when she mentions some of the drugs and and their. The concerning drugs like clonopin, mm-hmm. those can be very difficult to get off of. Yeah. So yes, for women who's absolutely struggling and and mm-hmm. just beyond, you know, going out of her mind, she can't sleep, mm-hmm. she's a mess. These are alternatives, is, mm-hmm. what, is what Natalie's right. saying. But I I agree. You know, I'm a sim- like we have very similar philosophies. We want to treat the cause, and right. not you know, this cause. is more a band aid, right? right? So this is gonna this isn't fixing the under we're not correcting the underlying because in these cases we might not be able to right, right. without putting the patient at too high our risk. hands are tied our hands are tied so we are going to have to do more of that band-aid approach mm-hmm. which is not 
our top choice. We're going to want to correct and balance first. But we have to help this woman. She's losing her mind. Absolutely. And it's not okay for someone to just be left untreated in this. You know, that old philosophy of that, I just, it's ridiculous. You know, I don't ever want any woman to feel like she should just have to deal with it. it. We're talking about quality of life here. I mean, Mm -hmm. it may not fit our paradigm of trying to Mm -hmm. find the root cause and fix that. But we're talking about somebody's quality of life who really mm-hmm. does need help. Yeah. And I've I've dealt with this many times in my career. It's, and it's very hard because you want to, I want to fix the problem. But the problem is now, cre- the problem that she has is limiting my choices mm-hmm. as, a, as a provider. Right. And that's, yeah. we have to deal with that. So, mm-hmm. What's so interesting though, also at the same time, the popularity of uh, natural options and alternatives, because, you know, we talk about, so we want an SSRI to inhibit the reuptake of serotonin because that's so linked to our mood, et cetera. But then there are things like amino acids, like 5-HTP that will convert to serotonin and mm-hmm. people use those and successfully, you know, Julia Ross and the mood cure is all around, all about um, you know, using amino acids and different, uh, and then there's, you know, the, the herbal remedies, I'm just saying for women who are listening, the, for the hot flashes, there's black cohosh. It can be very helpful for some women. Um, can be very helpful for mood and, um, and sleeping. And so I think there are a lot of natural yeah. remedies that we can also try or use together with, some of the herbal yeah. remedies you have to be careful with if they have estrogen receptor right. positive cancers. This, that's the problem. This is what we're talking about that. Right. right. So black cohosh isn't a phytoestrogen, but it does work on the estrogen receptor. Yeah. So it's tricky, right? Because, um, you know, the data seems okay, but there isn't a lot of safety data on it. Right. Most uh, oncologists are not going to like not say, yes. okay. yeah, they're not, not going to okay that. Um, vitamin, you know, e, vitamin E, they'll do, you know, you can do that. Like vitamin E is good. Yeah. Yeah. Like 800 units a day seems to be helpful for women, but the phytoestrogens can be tricky too, um, because they can have, you know, that effect on the estrogen receptor and that can make people pretty nervous about mm-hmm. that too. And so this is I where, know. you know, in this situation, you know, so if someone came to me, I would default back to saying, Hey, you need to speak with a provider has that full history has seen, you know, it's right. doing all the fault, doing all the pieces and can evaluate for that. Cause someone just walking off the street for me in general, even if there isn't this breast cancer risk, I'm, I don't know if I've ever recommended a woman just start on some supplements for menopause, because to me, I want someone who's looking at the full picture, looking at the mm-hmm. history, sees all those pieces, has the lab work, isn't just guessing at what's off and guess, you know, people can get DHA over the counter. People walk in, they want to just buy that. And I'm always like, okay, have you, you know, what's your physician say? Have you had that checked? Are you actually low in that? You know, so just because it's available doesn't mean, you know, that it's safe. Mm -hmm. You know, we still want to go through all the same, you know, checks and, and going through all that. And there are some options that, you know, seem promising, like the equal. Yeah, equal is a new one my patient told me about. It's called E-Q-U-E-L-L. Mm-hmm. E, but it's looks like it's also kind of maybe turned on the, binds with the yeah. estrogen receptors too. It, it does. So it's interesting. So it's, uh, it can be derived from a soy isoflavone. So it's a phytoestrogen. Okay. And it's also naturally produced by some women more in Asia than here. How is it produced by us? In the intestines. It works with uh, different products to create it. And so it works very well with fermented soy together. The combo together Mm. really help your body 
produce that more if you have the ability to do it. Only about 25% of women in the United States can do that. Oh, wow. And so we know that hot flashes are less severe on average in Asian countries, right? Mm -hmm. And so some of this is thought to be the fermented soy and diet and different things, but now there's kind of some thought on, could this be part of it, right? If 50% have this too, which is naturally helping to to kind of equalize this. So it's part of the microbiome? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So super interesting. And and in fact, you can give probiotics in general, right? To help with hot flashes. Probiotics can be helpful for that. Really? Yes. So, you know what kind? Are there certain kind? Any different kind? mixes, yeah. Just basically improving that gut, you know? So, that's how many billions of particles that gets to be tricky with the probiotics. You hear uh, these gigantic numbers. What's a good number? That will depend on what your underlying gut condition is for me. So, if you're healthy, you know, a lot of people are fine in the low, you know, one to 2 billion kind of range. If you have other gut issues, a lot of people are up in the 50 to 100 billion unit range, oh right? God. But oh. that, that's not where you're usually starting out unless you have something going on. You will get quite a bit of flatulence and mm. some people might comment on that. <laughs> you might feel better, but your family might not be there. Right. So you know, maybe not dive quite that far right away. You can start a little bit lower and kind of ease in. Um but yeah, so the equal says that the this compound binds to the beta receptors of the estrogen receptors. So according to what they say, you're not getting these same estrogenic effects that we are concerned about uh-huh. with cancer. However, if you step back and like look at some different experts, they're not willing to go as far with that because they don't have as big as studies and mm-hmm. you know the the backing to do that. So it's still, to me, a thing I would do a caution because it's still a phytoestrogen. Right. Um, and so it'd still be something I would want to run by if you do have an oncologist. Um, it would be something that I would, you know, recommend to have checked. Um, it's a possibility, but I don't feel comfortable with anything saying there's no risk with sure, that. Sure. Uh, I think that's too too broad a statement typically. And we know with any kind of hormone, there are risks. So anything has a risk. Anything has a risk. Water has a risk. People tell me, oh, I don't want to take that because if I read the labels. I said, well, have you read the labels of Tylenol? <laughs> I mean, you would, take, you would take nothing. Nothing. If you read every label so to, true. to the end. That's the problem. These cautions you've just been discussing for women that have estrogen and or progesterone positive breast cancers don't necessarily apply to the use of phytoestrogens with women who don't have similar Correct. risks. Exactly. Yeah. Clarify for our listeners: these yeah. things are um, yeah. can be useful, effective in a in a naturally occurring Absolutely. manner. Oh, Absolutely. And think how many. I mean, how long have women been using black cohosh and Chinese herbs and things like and that? Right. I mean, clover. oh yeah. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Yeah. Don't you know, cry. Oh, all so long. So what? Is, so let's. I mean, let's just list those so for a second mm-hmm. to kind of make it. Um, so for women who are listening that do have these estrogen receptor positive. Yeah. What are some of the ones they have to be careful with? Because we're not sure. Don Kwai, Black Kohosh. Yeah. yeah, Black Kohosh, Don Kwai. Anything that says it's like a soy isoflavone okay. or advertises itself as phytoestrogen. Okay. Um, this S-enol, okay. which is the equal. Okay. Um, all of those are would be in that class. Okay. Yeah. They can eat soy or they cannot eat soy? Eating soy seems to be fine. Okay. Uh, there hasn't seemed yeah, in general, I mean, as you know, we're not huge fans. I don't typically recommend people eat a ton of soy that isn't fermented, right. um, you know, because you're also in a normal setting, you're competing with your own 
estrogens at your receptors, right? right? right with right. with a weaker estrogen. So you could potentially make things worse if you're crowding out, right? Uh, so, you know, to some like extent. Soy milk and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, so like tempeh I'm, is good. Right. Fermented. Miso right, is good. Right. We know that these help. We know that it's good for the microbiome and all these things. Soy just on its own is like a protein because it's hidden in a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you go out to a fast food restaurant, something labeled as meat can be 50% soy. Okay. What so, about tofu? Tofu is fermented. That's great. It is It is fermented. Okay. Well, enough that it doesn't seem to be problematic. Okay. So Okay, good. There's a, yeah. good, there's a good clarification. Yeah. It gets confusing for me. And so I'm sure it gets confusing for our patients and our listeners. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's well, and it's tricky because soy is in so many things. Right. And, and that's where, that's why I don't tend to recommend to say run out and get more soy because you're probably intaking more soy than you realize you are. Right. Okay. Um, and so with evaluation and, and choices, I think it's fine. Okay, that's yeah. good. That's good. Do you have any more questions on that area, Candace? Or you feel like we can move? Well, on? I just, I just was remembering when I first started getting hot flashes, night sweats, and a mood swing in between. Um, <laughs> I was too. That was pretty. Bam! You got a lot going on at once <laughs> with little kids. You know, scared of mommy. So the first thing I tried um, actually was Dong Kwai. and I think it, I've heard it referred to as the female ginseng. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had read about it. I guess I read about it from Julia Ross or someone, and it just took me right out of the black hole, eight to 15 drops in water. And so I wondered what you thought about the, you know, herbs like Dong Kwai, um, being, they can be effective for some women, Right. Um, oh, moving away from the beginning. breast. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, yeah. And my goal is not to discourage women from that, but I still think it's important to have your baseline kind of like check in and figure out. And that's fine if you want to do a stepwise approach, right? You want to do herbal before you try any kind of medication. There's no Many problem. women want to. Yeah. Right. Especially There's younger no women. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But you still want someone looking at your risk, evaluating, because you might not even realize mm-hmm. your risk or have done the checks. Right. you know, that, that they can do to kind of see, you know, there's different tests and things we can do to understand, you know, do you have some genetic uh, concerns? Do we have different things? So I want to make sure that we're looking at this as a whole. Also, when you affect one hormone, you're affecting the others, right? So if you start working on things that are affecting estrogens, you're going to impact your thyroid, you're going to impact your adrenal glands. So, you know, it's just like, I don't like poking at one part of the endocrine mm-hmm. without balancing the whole. So I want to make sure other people are checking that and seeing what's happening for you with that. Because sure. we also know, you know, so you might be having hot flashes and stuff. Maybe your estrogen levels are fine, but your progesterone is so low mm-hmm. and you're so estrogen dominant that you've downregulated all your receptors that you can't use the estrogen you have. You might not need more estrogen. You might need progesterone to balance that. Right. So this mm-hmm. is why I, I want people to come in with knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, knowledge is power. You know, especially for women who aren't always told to be advocates for ourselves as patients, right? You know, be your advocate, understand your body, understand what's going on. And so that you are targeting and you're making conscious decisions on what you want to do, you know, and, and it is, you know, it can be easy to go in and do supplements and things and, and it might help, but I want to make sure that we're getting you as optimal as we can. Mm -hmm. 
that's, Amen. that's my knowledge, knowledge being power also it requires um you know an informed search as to which tests one should do and of course we're in terms of hormone testing we're in the saliva camp we like it because it's non-invasive and it's convenient and it's great for testing stress level cortisol levels and but for women that are concerned about the issues we're talking about with breast cancers etc and you're saying i want to i want to know that they have you know looked at all the risks how, what's your feeling about doing the kind of testing where you're testing those those uh, those detox pathways, those um, oh, you know, I uh, metabolic pathways for estrogen metabolism in in dried urine testing can be pretty important. Yeah, yeah. If you have a high risk or like something, you know, a family history, that kind of thing, I think it is important to understand where they're going and what mm -hmm. the metabolites are going. I think that pairs really well with some of the other tests that they can do also to see what your genetic markers are sure. and to see your other pieces, right? So that you are again being an informed person going into mm -hmm. this, especially if that breast cancer is of concern for you. It's really important that you know what's going to happen and getting baseline levels are important too. We know this before you start doing all these other things so that we can see what your body does with some of this too. And so I think it is important to know where things are going. And I don't think every woman needs to do it, you no, know, no. Um, but I think women who are of this concern or history or these kind of things, it is important to understand what's happening with them. And what do you think of the supplement DIM? I love DIM. Yeah, tell me I'm about, a huge fan. Can we talk about DIM? Absolutely. Okay. So DIM comes from cruciferous vegetables. So things like broccoli, cauliflower, yeah, cabbage, right. all those, we know those super healthy for you. Yeah. We basically take some really good parts out of that and condense it down into DIM. And so DIM helps regulate normal estrogen metabolism, right? And so we have different estrogens in our body. When we have too much, we might package it away into what's called a storage hormone called estrone. Okay. And we, or we might have a bunch of metabolites floating about, right? Especially if you've been on synthetic estrogens, you're going to have a lot of metabolites floating about because they're not quite what's in your body. So your body doesn't quite know how to break them down. And they down. can last for a very long time. Very long time. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so it's really important that we're helping the estrogen in the body be the right kind of estrogen that's helping you and also not lingering in these other that might be causing some of these negative effects that we don't want, mm -hmm. but not really giving you a lot of benefit. Right. And so DIM is the idea behind this is it's just helping to clear that out and get you at, you know, the estradiol that you want in there, the estriol that you want in there, those right levels are correct for where you need to be. And that we're not having a lot of the other estrogens kind of just floating. And so I think it's great, especially when women are on estrogens. I think it's really important uh, to do because this can help you to make sure that they're, you know, staying where they should be and clearing out when they need to be. Okay. So and supposedly the, that estriol has been shown to promote metabolism of estrogens down the proper pathway, down the good pathway. Dim. Dim, I mean. Yes. What did I say? You said estriol. estriol. But yeah, well, down the, and was it part of the, down the pathway to estriol? Um, well, it's, the, it's the two metabolic versus right. the four. The two, the, the two is the good, the good pathway. So for that reason, we want to maybe, you know, dried urine testing, which uh, ZRT does actually, Kyle and I both use ZRT testing and they, they actually developed it. Um, at ZRT, what right. the famous Dutch testing now was developed at ZRT. We should all say that. 
And uh, I think it does sound like it's a good cast too. I got to see that in early stages. I got to be a guinea pig. Yeah. yeah. It, it was me too. Oh, were you? I was. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah I have one more question about DIM though. With women that have low estrogen, not necessarily a good thing to be using DIM. What do you think? Doesn't make it go no. faster. I just I mean, can it increase because I've talked I, I have had heard opinions from other pharmacists actually that I remember Diana Morton saying to me, why would you suggest dim to a woman with low estrogen it'll just it's just going to create more aggressive metabolism and lower her estrogen levels i don't think i've ever heard that i've only yeah. heard it helps metabolize the estrogen and the testosterone right. down the correct pathway but i've never heard that it accelerates that yeah it's not forcing it yeah. out of the body i don't think i have a concern about that that means those people that's good to know that's really people good couldn't eat specific right. vegetables which yeah. makes no sense yeah. Well, you'd have to eat a lot of cruciferous vegetables to get the same amount as what you get in a tablet of DEM. But, um, but I, I get that. But I think that, I mean, it seems like then that you are getting it in cruciferous vegetables. And it seems like it would be like a negative mm. thing to eat those if you had low levels of yeah. estrogen, which doesn't make sense. That's how I think of yeah. it. It's kind of like I, in nature. It's, I mean, there's a possibility, but I haven't heard of that no. at all. And it hasn't been a concern for me. Well, so, I mean, women who have high levels of androgens, I would put them on it. Mm -hmm. But that's only because they have such high levels. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want that, like Melody's saying, all those metabolites hanging around. causing Right. So even if you had low estrogens, you still want those bad metabolites out of there. Exactly. What about the connection yeah. between too much cruciferous veg or DIM and thyroid function? So anything that impacts estrogens can impact thyroid okay. because there is a shared enzyme that can affect. And so anything that you do that's going to impact your estrogen, you just have to see what happens with the thyroid and then make adjustments accordingly if needed, if you are already low. It doesn't mean it, it's not like, I'm not concerned that you're going to go into like hypothyroidism, right? Like, I don't think you're going to create a disease because you do that. But if you're already on supplementation or you already know that you're off, it is something to watch. Okay. Um, just because it, you know, the sex hormone binding globulin can also bind T4. So, which is one of the thyroid hormones. So okay. we know that um, they do have an interplay. And so anytime you, you know, if you start someone on estrogens, I would want to retest thyroid as well. I'd want to know what happened. Okay. So, yep. okay. What about, um, do we want to talk about osteoporosis just quickly about prevention sure. and what, what we know? So we know that putting people on, on hormones mm -hmm. during the time of menopause or soon after is going to help prevent osteoporosis. Absolutely. Can even help reverse, right? We've seen that too. Absolutely. And I've actually seen DEXA scan changes that have been fairly remarkable. It's amazing. I know. Like right. A 5 to 10% mm -hmm. increased yeah. bone density. Mm -hmm. So for the women, so um, what about, um, so women who are, we also put them on hormones, but I also put them on vitamin D and I also mm -hmm. put them on K2. Can you comment on why we don't just put people on D, but we also put them on K2? For sure. So and play with calcium in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, calcium. So we, you know, forever we always thought about calcium. You know, calcium, take calcium, calcium for your calcium, bones, yeah. calcium for your bones. Right. True, except calcium doesn't get into the bones if we don't have some vitamin D help in that. Right. So those have to go together. So if you're going to do calcium, you got to have the vitamin D on board. And you know, there's a lot of different options within calcium. Um, you know, there's carbonate citrate's probably the most common people know of. Carbonate's the one you have to do with food. Citrate can be done with or without food. 
most women, you know, who are going into menopause, they're recommended in what, like the thousand to twelve hundred milligram range. So you're going to need to divide that up. Of you, calcium. Yep, because you can't absorb more than about five hundred or so at a time. Yeah, yeah. And you want to make sure you got that vitamin D on board also. Um, so that we are ensuring that that calcium goes where it needs to go. Okay. And so, especially in this area, I mean, how many people are vitamin def- D deficient in oh. that area? It's ridiculous. But across the country, yeah. it exists. Well, people yeah. And, and oh, that's the thing is people we, right. even like in sunny states, mm-hmm. I've seen yep. people with low yeah. levels because they wear sunscreen all the time. Yep. They work indoors <laughs> or yeah. they work indoors. They're not exposed to sunlight. Yeah. So vitamin D is very important to have with that. And of course the range for that varies, right? right. So that's going to depend on, I always want levels tested, but you know, if you don't have levels, most people are going to be taking what about a thousand, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not checking, if you are checking your low, you're probably going to be higher than that. Maybe two, 4,000, even right. some are even five. Right. So, you know, you've got to range with that. The reason why vitamin K2 has come up is we want to make sure that both the calcium and the vitamin D are doing what they should with the bones. And what we started to see in studies is vitamin K2 is making sure that those are going where they need to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, this evidence isn't as strong as it is with like the calcium and the vitamin D magnesium and, and K2 are being looked at because they recognize that they all, they both have important functions in bone development and, and bone health, but they don't fully understand like how they interplay. And of course, magnesium is really misunderstood in general, right? You know, we do magnesium tests of the serum. We do a blood draw. Well, only 2% of your magnesium is out in your blood. Most of it's inside a cell. Oh. So if you're low on magnesium, unless you do a very specific whole blood cell test for that, you don't know you're low. Mm. And so it's kind of this hidden thing for a lot of people. And so women may, you know, we might be seeing the osteoporosis stuff. We might be seeing bone, you know, muscle pains and aches. Some people can get arrhythmias. Like mm. it's really interesting. And we don't get a lot of magnesium in our diet naturally. So do those people have to be tested? How do you test them? A lot of people don't do the test because it's expensive and hard to get. So a lot of people will test out by taking magnesium. Okay. And your body's pretty good at telling you if you need magnesium. If you don't need it, you get diarrhea. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so you can actually titrate your dose until you start to get loose stools and then back off. And that kind of tells you where you should be. Most women, it's like 100 to 500 milligrams. So if you yeah. if you're taking like citrate, like mm-hmm. I take magnesium yeah. citrate, I can take up to 800 milligrams a day and not get diarrhea. And be fine. Then I yeah. need it. You need it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Body is good at getting rid of the excess. If you don't need it, uh, it comes out. And when, it, when you do get <laughs> diarrhea, it means oh, t- yep. Today I got magnesium. I didn't need that. Yep. Much. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's what good. about the discussion of all these different types of magnesium, though? Magnesium citrate, magnesium glycinate, magnesium oxide, magnesium threonate. How do we know? Hate oxide. I hate, yeah. I hate magnesium oxide and iron oxide. To me, I'm like, why? No, don't do it. Okay. It causes a lot of side effects because it's not absorbed well. Okay. So right. glycinate, citrate are my favorites. Okay. Citrate is most helpful if you if you do have constipation because that is oh, going to yeah. cause more diarrhea than glycinate does. So if you tend to, you know, towards the diarrhea side, I'm going to recommend a gl- glycinate. Right. And that and helps then, with sleep. Does that help with sleep mm-hmm, more too? Yeah. Yep. And that's more helpful with sleep. But if you need the citrate uh, for whatever reason um, or need, you know, or tend towards constipation, then that's going to be your friend. Right. 
And so that's kind of how you can pick. Um, mm-hmm. And if one doesn't do well, try the other. And what's what's in, um, is it Metamucil? Is it magnesium in that? Um, Metamucil. Is it, is it fiber? It's fiber, okay. yeah. yeah. Or milk and magnesia. Is that magnesium? Oh, milk and magnesia. Yeah, so that's magnesium oxide. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So that that's more to settle everything. That's more okay. of like a localized. Okay. Because when we get diarrhea and things are happening, you do deplete your body of magnesium. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that happens. Mm-hmm. And so it is important to replenish that. And it's kind of, like I said, that hidden electrolyte that people don't always think about when they're dehydrated. And, and So most people should be taking not only vitamin D3, but K2 mm-hmm. plus magnesium mm-hmm. plus calcium. Yes. But those of us who eat or drink a fair amount of milk and eat a bunch of cheese, do we really need to take calcium? Are these large- Not necessarily. Yeah. In fact, they do recommend if you can get these from dietary sources first, that's your that's your goal. Okay. You know, if you can do dietary, that's the goal because calcium, as you know, also has the potential risk above a thousand, right? There's that controversy that it could increase cardiovascular risk. Mm-hmm. The studies have been very mixed on that. Some have shown increased heart attacks, some haven't. And it's always been dietary or no, I'm sorry, non-dietary. So always been supplementation oh. above a thousand, not dietary sources. Okay. And so there is no conclusion on that yet. Mm. And so most people are recommending, you know, risk versus, you know, benefit. If osteoporosis, that's going to be more beneficial. The risk is, you know, mixed. But if you have a very high cardiovascular risk, they will probably not put you above a thousand. Okay. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But yes, diet is great. And it's important to take that into account when you are you know, thinking about how much you need to supplement, you might not need as much as you think. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of women are, are taking like the thousand milligram supplement. You might not need that if you, right. if your diets, you know, yeah, yeah. heavy and all that. So. And ha- is there a way I, to- I, was, I was one of those women that was taking a lot of calcium and now I've had a bit of a shock last uh, couple of weeks ago. I was told that I have severe calcification in my arteries. Um, so that's kind of uh, interesting, you know, in that my, this is probably more complicated conversation, but my lipid panel is pretty darn good. Um, so, but yet I have this extreme calcification and I've been thinking, is it the calcium that I took supplementally because I wasn't, I didn't know about K2, I've, you know, nest did I make a mistake by not making sure that I was always taking D and K2 together with calcium? Just don't know how in the hell I've gotten here. And it's really interesting because the other question I had of you being a pharmacist is that, of course, the first recommendation is I should be on statins. And the more I understand statins, I'm thinking, okay, Statins are for cholesterol lowering and my cholesterol is not high. My triglycerides aren't high. My LDLs aren't high. My HDL, the good hormone is great. So what am I doing? Why would I take a statin? Is it going to help the calcification in my arteries? I don't so think back up a second on this question too. Are you saying that you think calcium taking calcium caused the calcification in your arteries? I'm wonder, I'm just wondering that makes how sense. did this happen? There's definitely, so we know is the statin relevant. Is it going to help? They're not. So the mechanism isn't, my understanding is it's not understood to that level, right? We don't even know if high calcium causes right. this. We just have seen it in some studies, Okay, but right. that 
it doesn't mean that it, right. So there's a correlation. It doesn't necessarily mean causation. Right. And so this is where it's really tricky. It's not like they've done randomized control trials, looked at arteries ahead, looked at arteries after. Right. We do know there's higher heart attacks. So that could be calcification, but they're not in those studies. It's not like they went in and said, oh yeah, the calcification is super high. And you know, this has happened for that. So my understanding is it's not understood well enough to know that piece yet. Yeah, um, and, and, I think, and I think your question, Candice, is probably a, t- a question we probably should discuss with our c- cardiologists. So this mm-hmm. is a very complicated question that you're asking about yourself, yeah. your condition. Yeah, I would they, be really interested to see what they had to say and what they've seen yeah. in their practice, like yeah. the different causes and things. I would too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a- apart from the, ca- the causation of calcification, I'm just wondering if you as a pharmacist have a view on whether statins help with that or is it much more focused on lowering cholesterol levels and inflammatory plaque. Yeah. So statins come into play. So there's kind of a a different approach that they're going to look at, right? So they're going to do your overall absolute, you know, cardiovascular disease risk, right? They're going to do that, that analysis to figure out where do you fall with that? Because statins have shown to have a relative decrease of 30% or so. And so if your absolute risk is high, and your LDL is high, then they're going to put you on a statin. Mm-hmm. If your LDL is low and your cardiovascular risk is low, they're not going to do that. If your LDL is high, but cardiovascular risk is low, they may not. So it's mm-hmm. it's not as simple as saying, okay, this is this and this is it. So they're going to look at multiple factors mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And so I'm guessing when they did the cardiovascular disease risk assessment for you with this, that was high enough that they said, okay, let's try this. But it is tricky, right? Because how is it helping then if it's this isn't coming from a cholesterol standpoint? Exactly. So right. and that's my this, question. This is what kind of drives me crazy with like regular prescribing of statins, right? You know, people will be high HDL and be told, oh, gotta go on a statin. I'm like, that's gonna tank your HDL. Yeah. And the HDL is what you need. Exactly. And so I'm, it's not a popular opinion as far from a pharmacist standpoint, but I, I'm not a huge fan of statins. I'm not either. Um, so. I, why I wanted to ask, I need second opinions. I'll ask everyone I can ask, but as a pharmacist, I really needed to hear your view on that. It's tricky, right? Because I see high cholesterol as often symptomatic and not the disease. I see it as a symptom of where is that cholesterol not going? that it should be going, right? And and we have such this heavy emphasis on getting cholesterol low, low, low. Well, if your cholesterol is too low, you can't make sex hormones and you can't make thyroid hormones and you can't make adrenal hormones. And so, you know, if your cholesterol is high, is it diet? Is it that it's not going into one of these hormones that it should and it's stalling out? If your triglycerides are high, that's not actually a symptom of your cholesterol. That's an indication that your blood sugar is too high. Yeah, And so we classify triglycerides with cholesterol. I classify triglycerides with diabetes type stuff Yeah, because you, if you adjust cholesterol, you can make your triglycerides and your blood glucose shift, right? Like, or you drop your triglycerides and your cholesterol can go up because the cholesterol was bound to the sugar, which is what made the triglycerides. If it's no longer bound to the sugar, you just got cholesterol sitting there. So it's a, it's complicated is, is the, very short answer to that. There's a lot of different factors that go into play. And so yours is a really tricky situation because they're looking at the studies of saying, okay, well, overall we see this decrease in cardiovascular risk, but 
if your cholesterol isn't high, how is it doing that then? How would that be beneficial to that's, me? That's, yeah, I did. So, so that's what, it's a little bit of a stumper mm -hmm. for me. So, yeah. so in general, we know that, and we've talked about this before, and we're going to actually going to do a whole episode on cardiovascular disease in women. We know that, um, we talk about this a lot. So 300,000 women a year die in our country of heart disease, as opposed to 42,000 a year die of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. But our major emphasis has always been on preventing breast cancer. Oh, yeah. But really, we need to look at, especially as we get older, um, preventing heart disease in women. So, so many women are put on statins. Mm -hmm. What is your take on prevention or any other supplements that women can take in lieu of statins? Is there anything else that we can take? So I say a woman is diagnosed with high lipids, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, high LDLs. Are there any things that you have seen women can take in lieu of, of statins before she tries yeah. a statin? I'm a huge fan of diet changes as, as you two talk about a lot, right? Because typically the Mediterranean type style diets that are really good for this high cholesterol are also very good for your hormones. That is not a coincidence. <laughs> what if you're already on a Mediterranean diet, but your cholesterol is high? And that can happen. Yes. You know, for sure. Like a lot of women have that happen to right. them. And so, you know, maybe you're doing all the pieces already. Um, there's some things that you can add like fiber and different things as well. We know that that's a pretty easy way to add and, okay. and help with that. Um, it's interesting because omega, like the thing. fish oils are a mixed bag, right? Are they? They, so it's, they tend to really be helpful for triglycerides, but they can then make the cholesterol go up. Like DHA? It's more, yeah, it's, it, it depends on the DHA to EPA ratio as okay. well. So what, what's a yeah. better choice for somebody who has higher triglycerides and higher LDL? If you have high triglycerides, the omega-3s will be helpful for you. Okay. If you have high LDL with that, you could see that go up more. So you need to make yeah. sure you're being careful with that. So what do you, how do you balance that? So you'd want something that's going to target the LDL more. And so uh, probably red yeast rice is what people think about the most. The thing that's interesting about that is it basically is a weak statin. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's the piece that always kind of makes me laugh a little bit because yeah. I'm like, okay, well, it's natural, but also also kind of a statin still. Exactly. Um, berberine has really good evidence uh, backing it. So berberine is what we see in like tree turmeric, uh, organ grape. Has it? Okay. Um, and it's antioxidant and it really drops both. Um, and it has like a pretty good impact. Drops both what? Triglycerides um, and LDL. And LDL. Oh, nice. And so that's usually, you know, in the 900 to like 1500 milligram range, somewhere in there. Um, that can be like really helpful for that. Um, what about bergamot? So, I, mean, I learned about bergamot years ago. Bergamot ha doesn't have enough evidence to back it. Okay. So, some people have seen benefit, but the studies haven't backed that. Okay. Yeah. So um, same with like resveratrol or green tea extracts. The problem with those is absorption. It's not an issue of the compound itself. That res resveratrol and all those are amazing. They have amazing effects. It's very hard to get them into the cells and into the body where they can work. Okay. And that's where we often will see issues. And so you'll see certain supplements of resveratrol and those like that are especially like they'll advertise that they're specially designed to help, you know, get them into the body more. Um, we see this a lot of isoflavone type. Can you do things. topical or no? I wouldn't, no. you're not going to absorb. Okay. And so we see this with a lot of 
things like this that are antioxidant that have like in the cells when they do the studies, they're like, wow, this is so great. Oh, wow. But in the body, it just doesn't go where it needs to go. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you're saying fiber, um, obviously, so fiber, um, yes, uh, adding in like healthy fats. So olive oil, nuts, you know, so shifts, those shifts mm-hmm. can help, you know, and of course, if you're already done all those, you know, it is yeah. what it is and we'll work outside of that. But those have big impacts. I mean, you can drop LDL by 20, 30% by shifting diet. Mm-hmm, sure. So you can have big impact. Yeah. Of course, that diet shifts too, adding in the healthy fats. That's also going to help your HDL. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of these other players, like statins, you add that in and that's going to tank your HDL too. It's just dropping everything. It's a hammer. How important is that ratio? Because I've been told that you can have high LDLs, but if you have high HDLs, you're okay. And then I heard a flip on that recently mm-hmm. that said high HDLs. I'm not so sure if they can be too high. Yes. So I've done research on this too, because I also have very high HDL. Right. And so I've done a lot of research on this too, because I was like, am I at a point where I should worry about this or are we okay? And the answer is they don't quite know. That's what I thought. Yes. So certainly like at certain points where it's, you know, they want it higher than the LDL. That's good. Yeah. We like that. But once you get above a hundred, they don't really know. Mine's above a hundred. And too. mine's above a hundred as well. And so I'm in the range where it's a little bit of a question mark and they're like, maybe okay, maybe not. So, um, you know, it's so talking- high because you both exercise a lot. I know Kyle does. I, yeah. think, I think mine's diet. I think mine's diet and mm-hmm. genetics. Yeah. But my cholesterol went up this year and I have no idea why. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. my dad's, well, also I turned 70, but I don't know why. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, I mean, does plant-based mm-hmm. diet really make a difference? It can. Um, so you have different options. So DASH diet, Mediterranean, plant-based, all those things, pretty similar. Right. So, you know, you want to fit what fits you best. Right. It doesn't mean you have to cut out all proteins, you know, meat proteins. Um, but you also want to look at other comorbidities. So other diseases that are going on, because that will help you decide what would fit you best, because maybe you also have high blood pressure, or maybe you have more blood glucose issues or no blood glucose issues. So all of those are really going to dictate what's going to fit you best. Mm -hmm. And it also needs to be something that you enjoy and is sustainable for you. So if you're putting yourself on this diet that you hate, you're not going to stay on it. No, imagine that. Right. We hate diets. Yeah. I don't even want to use the term diet. Restrictions right? are the worst. Restrictions. Mediterranean the- so-called diet is not really a diet, but a way of eating for mm-hmm. life, exactly. I would think. Exactly. I, I get a bit confused between, you know, for heart healthy, um, Mediterranean sounds perfect. Um, but then there's a lot of talk around keto. And, um, you know, that's that other discussion. But keto is quite high fat. But then it's good fats. So but isn't that okay? okay. Right. Yeah. Fiber. Keto is tricky. Yeah. Keto can be tricky with cholesterol because a lot of people on keto also do a lot of MCT oil and coconut oils, mm-hmm. and that can make your cholesterol go up, right? Mm-hmm. And your HDL go up. So keto, mm. I think, is probably the... Like, I would not recommend a keto diet if you're looking just to control cholesterol. That would not be where I go. Usually we're doing keto for weight loss, or um, uh, like blood sugar, insulin resistance, yeah. those kind of things. So I usually that's the side. Oh, um, we know keto is amazing for certain things like Parkinson's 
and Alzheimer's uh, post-stroke. Well, and our brains don't process glucose correctly in in those conditions. So if we can give it alternate fuel through the ketones, your brain processing is going to improve a lot. So even just adding MCT oil and things like that to our patients who have those, that can be amazing for them. Oh, for sure. OHSU uh, did a study... I think they partnered with NUNM maybe even on Parkinson's where they put Parkinson's patients on keto and a lot of them went into remission. Really? It was wow, amazing. That's so cool. So there are quite a few really good uses for keto diets, but if you just have high cholesterol, that's not where I'm going to recommend you go. No. HSU and and, um, the naturopathic university here in Portland collaborated on that study. Yeah. And I believe it was... Funded part, and I, I'm terrible with sports ball, so I don't remember the name, but there was the uh, NBA player here. Brian Grant. Yeah, he was behind a lot of that. Well, so, I, I wonder yeah. if Michael J. Fox knows about this, because there was that wonderful, have you guys seen that documentary called Still? I've heard about it. It's incredible. You know, he's had, he's had uh, Parkinson's in his twenties. Right. And he is, it's really sad to see him and and what he's like. And I wonder, and our old recording engineer, Dan had um, Parkinson's also. I didn't realize what a strong correlation. This is mm-hmm. good to know because I've always sort of poo-pooed keto mm-hmm. as a regular diet for most of us. Right. Not being sustainable. It's very hard to sustain. Yes. Very hard. very hard to sustain. And the flip from processing glucose to ketone can be quite rough for patients for like one to two weeks because your body is switching on how you get energy and how you process. Oh, interesting. So you might have a lot of fatigue and brain fog mm-hmm. as you switch over. I've done keto before. Um, I've done it as part of like candida, candida cleanses and things like that. Yes. Um, but for me, it's not an option now because of kidney stones. Oh, bad player for kidney stones. So <laughs> that's why it's important yeah. uh, listeners out there that before you try any of these diets, that you do know what your underlying mm. risks are because they can really cause problems, these diets. Oh, keto, like the keto diet often is very high in oxalates because, you know, you're eating almonds and spinach and very high protein, which can also contribute. So it yeah. can be quite the, you know, pressure on the kidneys for that. Sure, sure. Yeah. So these are good. Um, so these are great. So just to review, so people who do have high cholesterol, mm-hmm. um, fiber. You said uh, berberine was very mm-hmm. good, possibly bergamot. We don't know about that one. Red yeast rice, mm-hmm. resveratrol, another one. Mm-hmm. Red wine is good, right? The plant sterols are a little mixed. Okay. Um, they might be okay, but there's not a lot of long-term studies on it. It's similar to the bergamot, honestly, yeah. okay. uh, where it could be. Uh, probiotics are another one where that's important. Okay. Um, that's really helpful in that as well. Good, yeah. good, good, good. Okay. What and else? Just making sure you're not insulin resistant. Yes, that's important. Anytime you're affecting or trying to lower your cholesterol, you definitely need to be rechecked and watch your blood sugar. Okay. Because if you were packaging away some of that blood sugar away into triglycerides and you've now taken away that cholesterol backbone for that, your blood sugar will go up. Mm. And so especially patients with diabetes, very common. They'll start on a statin. Three months later, their A1C is higher. Oh, interesting. So it's just, and it's not that that can't be adjusted for, but as long as we're watching for that monitoring, that that's okay. It's an expected effect of it, but it is something to watch. And people don't always think about that side of it. We don't think of how they're tied into each other. So what about the people now who are using all these new weight loss drugs? Oh, yes. It's it's an interesting area. Ozempic. Oh, yes. I heard about that last Mm -hmm. summer that people were injecting Mm -hmm. it back in in Brazil. I heard Mm -hmm. about it first. 
it's all over the place. Hmm? What is so? I, I was reading about it online, um, and they were saying they really don't know how it works. Yes. So this whole class, um, they're so they're what are called GLP one antagonists. So this has to do this protein. The signaling has to do with you know releasing insulin, um, affecting glucagon. So the things that are for diabetes, right? So this is where it all came from. It started as diabetes drugs, right? And they noticed with the first one that came out, I think it was like 2005, that there was modest weight loss with it. You know, a little bit, but not a ton, but enough that it got people's interest. There's a New York Times, uh, New York Times article just came out today, I think. Yeah. We'll put that in show notes. It's yeah, really can. interesting. It, it talks a lot about the background. The Gila monster is involved in this. I kid you not. That's <laughs> like how they figured out because they did this type, but you had to do it twice a day. And they went, you know, how can we make this something like this that's going to last longer? And that's they looked at Gila Monsters and went, oh, okay, well, let's use this. So that got into like once a day. And they're like, okay, this is good. And this helps a little bit more, but not quite. So then they're like, can we get to once a week? So that was the goal. And what they found when they switched to these other types that go to once a week, all of a sudden now people aren't getting cravings for food or alcohol as much. They feel full longer. They're just not as interested in food. So they just eat less and they don't think about food as much. Um, the cravings and those just kind of go away. And this happens more with the once weekly than either the twice or once daily. Is it affecting their insulin levels? Is it affecting their blood sugar? It, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it would make you release more insulin, but it's also in response to what your blood sugar is. So it's not going to make you go hypoglycemic or low blood sugar like you would see with insulin. Okay. Because it's in response to how high is your blood sugar happening. And so with these, what they're finding is there's like about 15% or so uh, weight loss uh, with it. Then there's this new, you know, mixed ones like uh, Manjaro. Right. Uh, that's around 20%. There's a new one that's uh, in clinical trials that isn't out yet. Um, that one's looking to be 25%. Wow. Um, but these don't, you know, they don't come without side effects. And mm-hmm. that's a piece that's important, that's right? So that's a big one. I mean, up to almost like 40% of people, I think at nausea and quarter to a third can vomit and, you know, people get headaches, you know, there's a lot of GI pieces and it can be transient and resolve. We're certainly starting to see more cases of people who have stopped this and still aren't processing food and it's just sitting in the stomach and they're still having chronic vomiting and things. So, you know, it's a small percentage. There's also a uh, risk. It does have a black box warning with it, which means uh, high, like low probability, but very serious interactions. Um, it well interactions, but also it can cause thyroid, a specific type of thyroid cancer and oh. pancreatic cancer. And so again, rare, um, but potential. But potential. The other piece that people are noticing, um, I don't know if you've heard of, like the facial sagging or aging that happens with it because it's so rapid no. that people are getting like these weird sagging faces. Oh my not you know, not everyone, but it, it's interesting. So so there's definitely some interesting side effects. And the piece that I think is really important for people to know is this only works when you're on it. Right. You stop, it all comes back. What all comes yeah, back? All the way if you haven't made changes to your diet. Oh, but if you make so all these people in Hollywood, I know there's like people mm-hmm. doing these on them, but yeah. parties. Yep. I heard, now I don't know if this is true, that you have permanent changes in your body and your body. So you're saying no, that's not true. 
the permanent changes that we're seeing for some is that they aren't processing food fast enough. And so mm-hmm. people are throwing up food they ate three or four days ago. After they've been, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they've been oh, yeah. yeah. But again, these are just a few case reports. So okay. this isn't, you know, this is too new a medication for us to really know long-term consequences yet. Okay. Um, so some of the things I've heard is that, you know, number one, it's take people who are taking it for weight loss are stealing it from the people yes. and it made a shortage for people who needed it for diabetes. Yes. There's some ethical concerns about mm-hmm. that. And then also the weight gain yeah. after you yeah. lost it. There's a lot of ethics around this. Um, it's interesting. So it's an inexpensive medication. Thousand dollars um, a month. Is mm-hmm. And so a lot of people to get covered have to be coded as pre-diabetic or diabetic. So there's been some interesting insurance manipulation that had started with that the insurances are not too happy about that now so there's a lot it's a lot harder to play that game now um but it's starting to pick up um china is taking off like wildfire there now and so we're going to see even more supply issues with this and so it's been on drug shortage basically since it started so yeah if you have diabetes you're probably not i mean it's still very hard to get your hands on this. Mm. I get calls, I probably get four to five calls a day asking if I compound this. Oh wow. And um that's wow. very controversial too because a lot of comp- like it's not a lot. There are compounders who are compounding it. It's controversial for compounders to compound it because the there's a salt form that you can get but not this form. And so they were compounding with that one, but that's not the approved form to compound. Also, is it okay to compound it? Because there's a commercial option, but it's on shortage. Um, One of the drug manufacturers actually suing several compounders right now, which, so it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's a murky area that I have. uh, I don't know of anyone in Oregon who has decided to step in that pool. That's, that's all I'll say. We, We have all opted out. Wow, um, a lot of issues around that when you're I, I, the media fights. I want to say to Natalie that um and and to our listeners too that I mean listen to all that you all of the knowledge that you have to integrate in doing your work. I'm thinking of you knowing and understanding how to compound things and and medications and what they do and how they function in the body as well as needing to understand the natural sources of these medications, where, how they, what receptor sites they hit, what they're made of, how they work. And, and I'm wondering people calling you and asking you about these things, you're having to be as knowledgeable about herbs and supplements as you are about, you know, all the pharmaceuticals that you're prescribing. And when people call and ask you about a statin or about this new weight loss drug, and you're not a fan where do you where do you find yourself in that conversation? Because I would imagine your pharmacy has also got some great selections of natural options as well. So how do you steer people? And do you feel like you have to give them a full education before you can move forward with it? It depends on what it is. Um, there are certain things that I like, for instance, statins. To me, it's so complicated that if you don't have that background in understanding how to assess all the cardiovascular risk sides of it, um, I'm a bit hesitant in just providing like, oh, you can do this dose and this, because I want to make sure that that person has had that full workup, had all the things checked. I mean, it's, it's really similar to how I feel about like hormones. I don't want people dabbling in hormones 
I don't want right. people dabbling in these other things. I want people who are fully committed to learning the, all the pieces to it. And I can provide some of those, but there's a lot of pieces that go beyond what I do. Um, and so some of it depends on that. So if you're just tweaking something someone's on, you're, you know, you're helping continuation of care, like that's usually when, you know, I'll, I'll advise on like commercial. Most people who are calling want specialized um, information. So they want to know kind of like, okay, we tried this. It didn't work. Do you have anything that you do for this or mm-hmm. outside the box? Usually that's often why, but we also have great relationships with our naturopathic physicians and, and other integrative physicians in the area. And so they trust us. And so, you know, we do get calls about random things we don't even do at our pharmacy, yeah, sure. you know, all these commercial meds we don't even do because they trust us and they know that, you know, I'm going to give it to you straight. And if there is evidence, I'll tell you. If there isn't evidence, I'll be really upfront about it. Yeah. And so and you're willing to go the extra mile and learn about it too. Definitely. And all my pharmacists are the same way. My pharmacists are just, I mean, you said, I mean, they're just they're amazing, brilliant, amazing people. And they have spent the time too to really look into this because again, this has to be personal research. This has to, you know, there's a lot of time yeah. spent mm-hmm. to, you know, and a lot of passion behind it to really understand how these things work together. Um and you know, it's it's really impressive to me because you also, like you said, we have to understand the chemical side of it too, what we can do mm-hmm. with that. And then there's also the compliance side of it, which is a big part to my job now. Most of what I do is compliance right now because it's so complicated and there's so many different pieces to it that it requires a lot of oversight to make sure everything's being done the right sure, way. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that's well, true. Kudos to you, Natalie. I mean, the 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 breadth of knowledge that you bring to this all this wide-ranging topic is pretty darn impressive yeah I you must spend a lot of time in a study mode we're gonna have to i think we're gonna have to have another episode with natalie she has yeah. wow. can't even get through all of our questions today without making this a, a nine-hour episode <laughs> i know marathon well, i think we'll have to have you back what do you think i would love to be this back. has been fascinating actually you know this is such a controversial topic right now the whole weight loss thing and i think everybody's always looking for a quick fix for everything mm-hmm. and it's interesting. I work now, um, you know, as you all know, I'm seeing patients again, and I work with a um, a website called Fullscript, and they only allow they don't let people buy supplements themselves. They have to work with a provider who who like me who gives them ideas of what they should take. And That's I great. love that sort of that sort of stopgap that you can't. Mm-hmm. Everybody can go out and buy all these expensive supplements and try all these mm-hmm. things, and they don't know sometimes that they're not helpful. No. Or, or it could be harmful. Exactly. So, or or what brand do you choose? Okay. You know, supplements aren't regulated in the same way, and so you know, just like with a compounding pharmacy, you want to pick a brand that is dedicated to doing all the testing and have mm-hmm. third party, you know, come in and look and do all the QC and all the different quality control stuff. You you want to make sure you're picking well because you might think you're buying right. something and you're not buying. Like that. Costco is not. I tell people you might find a couple mm-hmm. of good ones there, but you yeah. don't know what you're getting, where right. they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. You really want to go I'm with the reputable brands. Very picky about my brands with yeah, this. Know, tell you know, tell you know. us a few of the brands that you've selected for your shop. I love Pure Encapsulations. Right. Um, they do an amazing amount of quality control. They have third party come in and check. Um, Integrative Therapeutics is right. great. Um, I work a lot with standard process. Um, they are very unique in the way that they, um, everything is very naturally derived um, and is kind of unique in what they do. Uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Thorn is an amazing one. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what I'm looking for when I do this is I want people who are really doing a lot of quality control and are very clean. 
These are really clean products. They are very clear on their allergens. They list everything in it. And so a lot of my patients need something that's super clean. And so it's really nice because we can almost always find something for them, Mm -hmm. um, which is just lovely. Yeah. And if you live in the area, and many of you, our listeners don't live in the area, but if you happen to be in Portland, coming to her her pharmacy is is really incredible. And if you go on the website of her pharmacy, the amount of services that they offer her, the articles they published, there's so many topics we didn't touch on. We'll come like LDN and we can go into so many other topics another time with Natalie because she's just that wealth of information. Um, I like to have her in my back pocket wherever I go. Yeah, <laughs> please. Yes, please. We need, an app. We need an app, an app, an app, <laughs> an app that we download. <laughs> You'll have a cat on it. Yeah, yeah. Nat, Nat app. Is how that what you cat app? How many cats do you? How many cats do you have now? Oh, only two. Only two. I have my little senior baby passed this summer, and then oh. my other senior oh, baby. No. Yeah, so I'm going to be oh a single kitty mama soon. Oh, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a 16 and 17. That's amazing. Not, you know, little How many supplements chickens. do you have on the Oh, man. <laughs> that's that's another. That's another. another episode. That's a whole episode. <laughs> Things I do for my cats. Oh, believe me, I know. My Rosie's on Chinese herbs. Uh-huh. <laughs> we all do it. We all do. We love our animals. Oh. Well, Natalie, this has been such a pleasure. Oh, and we appreciate you spending all this time with us and sharing your wealth of information. My gosh, it's just incredible. I love spending time with you too. You know this. I'm always happy to be here. And I appreciate both of you, the amount of knowledge that you have put out and, you know, given to other providers and to patients, you know, the way you're helping shape all of this. Mm -hmm. I, it's so important. And I, I love the messaging that you give to women and the way that you really promote, you know, women to be their own advocates and, and gain that knowledge and do that. I think it's so important. Um, and it's not always the messaging that's given. And so I just really appreciate, you know, how you both, you know, contribute to that. It's so huge. Okay. So needed. Well, we are each other's best advocates and friends. Yeah. And, and I think we can continue to help shape this conversation for the future. That's the most important thing I think that we do. I, I believe that. So, and if you, have, if you haven't seen the movie Barbie yet, go see that. Cause that's right <laughs> up there too. <laughs> Quick plug on really? Oh yeah. Okay. Have you not, seen it? Not yet. I can't wait. Oh, it's so fun. Oh, it sounds it's so, amazing. It's a fun, it's a fun one. It it it's it it goes, it segues right with our message. Perfect. Empowerment. Oh, is there a Barbie in menopause? I'm not <laughs> telling Barbie, you. Barbie I'm, telling you. Menopause? I'm not gonna tell you, Kenneth. The end Does she have hormones? Does she have I'm not telling you? It's a, oh, it's a spoiler. We're just gonna have to go see you know, first, and we're and we're pink. That's what I did. We all oh, wore pink, yeah, and we yeah. even had like pink margaritas afterwards, oh. watermelon margaritas. It was really fun. Yeah, have fun with that, girls, because it's it's we do we need that we need that levity mm-hmm. as well as the serious talk that we do. Very important. Yeah, it's very important. Well, thank you, Natalie. To and be continued. I'm jealous. You guys are probably going out to lunch or doing something afterwards, and I'm oh, not there. Salsa dancing or something, you know? How <laughs> you know. All right, <laughs> all right, ladies. So don't. Right. Next time. In closing, if you have questions, make sure they're great ones and live a great life. And make sure if you have, you know, hormone issues, get tested and work with somebody who will partner with you and not talk down to you. That's really important. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Here we are at the end of this WTF, Women Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. 
in that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace.